Hello and welcome to the Recreation to Recreation podcast, the show where we explore the stories of people who have turned the activity that they love into positive change for our world. My name is Jen, and I'll be your sidekick on this adventure as we treasure hunt for gems of insight and wisdom while exploring the planet with our inspiring guests. For today's adventure, we're heading to Colombia, Canada, and beyond with Marcella to explore her world of ocean, wellness, and reinvention. Marcella, how are you today? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. And thanks for having me. I'm so excited to delve into so many things today. But before I do, I would love if you could just get us situated where you are today. Absolutely. Right now I'm in Toronto, beautiful summer day. So yeah, I'm just actually, I was in the Caribbean most of the beginning of the year. So it's, it's nice to have some Canadian cooler weather. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, it's beautiful. I'm in Ontario as well. So it is a beautiful summer day. So we Absolutely. can both enjoy the sunshine pouring in through the window as we have this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I really just wanted to start by congratulating you on winning first place and breaking two national records at the Columbian Cup for freediving in May. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and next up is world championships. So will this be your first time going to that? Uh, no, this will be my second year. So I'm really excited okay. about it. Last year was my first time and that was in uh, Turkey. Okay, so cool. I can't wait to explore more as we you know, dive deep <laughs> into this conversation. But let's let's get down with these weird and wonderful questions because they always make me laugh. Cool. Okay. <laughs> so what is your favorite day of the week? <laughs> uh, that's a hard one. I don't know. I feel like I don't live a normal lifestyle. So most people would say like Friday or, you know, because they have the weekend. But I sometimes... Weirdly enough, sometimes I like Mondays because <laughs> mm-hmm. um, usually my line of work or, you know, usually you seem to be very active on the weekends and sometimes a Monday is more of a lay the, like layoff day or just a day to just sort of start off your week and set the goals and, I don't know, reset. But, you know, obviously the weekends are fun. <laughs> What's your opinion on wearing socks and sandals? <laughs> That's very Canadian. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave it at that. (laughs) Perfect. Very neutral. (laughs) Diplomatic. I love it. Do you have a favorite mythical or imaginary creature? Not really, but I'm I'm a bit of a hippie. I'm very spiritual. So I I do talk to, I don't know, beings of light and angels and, you know, whatever. So that like universe, nature, you know, like that sort of maybe my more musical conversations, if that makes sense. But as of a creature itself, I wish there was a mermaid or something like in the ocean. <laughs> but I feel like maybe you are a mermaid. <laughs> maybe I'm a mermaid. Yeah, and I, I also wish. think your your first answer was perfect. I don't know if they really apply to imaginary or mythical, but I, I think that's a beautiful answer regardless. I'm also quite spiritual. So I'm right on the same page with you. Awesome. So if you had to pick a flavor to go with chocolate, what would it be? A flavor to go with chocolate, banana. Mmm, yum. <laughs> Amazing. Sort of banana chocolate pancakes. <laughs> oh, perfect. I am on point today with my questions. <laughs> All right, so what is the name of the street you grew up on? Uh, this is really boring because it's like numbers. It's in Bogota, Colombia. And it was, it's called Carrera 12B, <laughs> which is literally like street 12B. So nothing too exciting. <laughs> Interesting. So is that very common? 
Yeah, we don't really have, like the big avenues have names, some of them, but anything else, like all the streets have like numbers and then you have like, it's very organized. The streets and the carreras are the ones that cross the main streets. So yeah, it's just, it's very like numerical. Oh, cool. It's just yeah. like a very grid-like. Exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. Organized. You knew exactly where you were going. Sort of. It's a very <laughs> messy city. So I think they try their best. Do you have a nickname? <laughs> yeah, I think I had many throughout the years, but I think Monko, people used to call me. Well, my family used to call me like Mika, like monkey, little monkey, because I was always climbing stuff and making faces. And, <laughs> and then that sort of translated to English in monkey. And then there's a long story, but basically Monko was like <laughs> the nickname that I was given. It's amazing how those things change and shift over time. Yeah, I have exactly. <laughs> a similar story from my sailing days. My nickname ended up being Potato. So, we'll, <laughs> potato. you know, we'll leave that up to everybody to figure out how we got there. But, <laughs> but that's perfect. So those are our weird and wonderful questions. I hope you enjoyed them. I always do. Yeah, it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> I like to start these episodes by really doing a bit of an origin story. So I would love to hear about we already touched on where you grew up, but I would love to hear more about what it was like, your childhood, and what were you passionate about growing up? And have you always been passionate about the water and oceans? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So I was born in Bogota, Colombia. So that's the city, the capital city of Colombia. I grew up, so that's right in the mountains, 2,600 meters above sea level. So I was really away from the ocean. However, I was born into a very adventurous family, my parents loved to travel like every year we took very big adventures uh, to places in Colombia that most people didn't dare to go. But I only get to see the ocean for the first time when I was six. I was put in swimming lessons since I was like four. So I grew up swimming and doing ballet. I was a ballerina. That's basically my childhood for what I remember is swimming, training, and then dancing and all the weekends like going away from the city to do some hikes or anything to do with nature. And then of January every year, we go for a month, either camping or mostly camping, actually, for like a whole month. Um, my family wow. would take everything with them, like <laughs> tents, big tents and mattresses, pots. Like it was actually hilarious Um <laughs> people used to travel <laughs> back then. Yeah, I went into the ocean for the first time when I was six in the same place that I won the competition last month. So, oh, perfect. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. I was in the water, even though it was a swimming pool, it was, it was always a place that... It was, it was my life, right? I have been in the water. It was basically my life. And I remember being, didn't really like the city. It was such, it's a 12 million people city and I never really connected too much with it. But whenever I was swimming or we were outside, that was always what it felt like. When I think of home, that's what I remember. And then growing up, I, yeah, I continued to swim until I was maybe 13, 14 and to dance. So those were the two things. But ocean only came... Later, I think when I was 14, 15, I went to the same island and I did my first scuba dive. And that's when I fell in love with it. I was just like, oh my God, this is amazing. So I decided to, not decided, but it was something that I was like, I really want to do something about it. And at the age of 16, I, I left Colombia. I think the fact that I was in a family that loved traveling and adventures, like it was only natural that <laughs> I wanted to do the same. So I really thank them, you know, because I felt my, my spirit it was all made because of the experiences that they gave us as kids. I think it's beautiful to 
to nod to our parents and our families, especially if they are something that you can really recognize played a huge role in what shaped you and what you're doing now and also allowed you to be who you were from a very, very young age. I feel like 14, that's a pretty young age to be getting into something like scuba diving. That's awesome. I only just certified last year. (laughs) I can remember that first breath underwater. I mean, I've done a lot of snorkeling and tried my hand at freediving, not like you do, but literally just holding my breath and going down and hoping for the best. <laughs> so yeah, that I'm is freediving. Yeah. excited to, to learn more. And it's definitely something that I would love to explore. So I'm really That's excited awesome. to have this conversation. There's something about breathing underwater, like when you first scuba dived, and then later when you learned to freedive, what is the, the feeling that you get when you go underwater? I think it's, it's, it's a, <laughs> I ask myself that question many times because I, I feel like I feel I cannot put it in words. I mm-hmm. cannot give the justice to that feeling. The best description I can say is it's just the peace. It's just like ultimate peace. Just like everything is quiet. I love the quietness. I'm very appreciative of that peaceful environment. And I think when I'm underwater, like the first time when I was scuba is different because you're still hearing yourself breathing through the regulator. Mm-hmm. But I think it was just to just to see what's under, right? Like we see the ocean and we're so disconnected from it. And just to go down and look at this fish and just feel like you could be part of that world too. Like that was that's what made me really curious. I became a scuba instructor first and I worked for a long time and that's all I was doing. And the first time I tried free diving, I was like, oh my God, like this is even better, <laughs> you know? And I think that's more what I was looking for. It was just completely quiet and it was just my mind, my own body, and the ocean, you know, it's like you become one. And that's sort of my mantra when I'm in competitions or doing like some serious dives. Like I have a mantra that I'm like, I am one with you. And like, I'm talking to the ocean. Mm. And I think that's what it is. It just feels like, like, yeah, you have the quietness, but I think it's just more a feeling of just complete surrender and just such so much peace and just being at home. I don't know. <laughs> it's hard to describe that. I absolutely love that. I really, I'm going to... I have so many questions, but one of the things that I wanted to to get onto later was, you know, meditation and mindfulness. And Mm -hmm. I feel like this is really another opportunity to experience it. As you said, it's that complete surrender. When we're above the water, there's so much more noise and distraction. Mm -hmm. And as you said, when you go underneath, and, and I can kind of understand both because with scuba diving, yes, you can hear your breath and it's actually quite exaggerated. So in in many ways, I remember when I was learning, they were like, you know, deep, slow breaths. Mm -hmm. And I found that quite meditative and relaxing. And then I can imagine with free diving, it's even like a step beyond that. As you said, that that silence and surrender and being one with the ocean. And I love that you have that mantra because I try to practice that kind of mantra every day in my mm-hmm. relationship to the world around me. So that mm-hmm. that really resonates with me. That's beautiful. And so did you discover free diving quite early on? Same sort of timeline as scuba diving? Was it quite soon after that? Sort of, yeah. Like I was I moved to well, I moved to New York after Colombia, and then I moved to Canada, and I went to school. I wanted to be a dancer, and then I realized that oh, I went backpacking to Southeast Asia for the first time, and then I saw people fishing and scuba diving, and I was like, I want to have the island life. I want to do this, you know. <laughs> so I did move there like 2010, I think 2011, 
so I finished like all my, I became an instructor for school and I was teaching that. And in 2000, it was 2011, I was taking some, for the advanced course for scuba diving, you do have different uh, dives that you have to do. And some others are optional. Um, one that most everyone has to do is a deep dive to 30 meters mm-hmm. or like a hundred feet. So I was taking my students to that deep dive in Chumpong Pinnacle, which is a beautiful pinnacle in Kotel, Thailand. And then I saw these guys coming down with monofins wearing like black wetsuits and no tanks. And I was like, what are these guys doing? Um, <laughs> they look so cool. And I was just like, I was, I remember it was like high season. So I was really busy working and doing like teaching like course after course back to back. But as soon as I had like two days in between, like I booked my first freediving course. I was introduced to it, but I was still very involved in scuba. So I kept working and doing everything, but like very slowly here and then I would like book like a fun dive for freediving, you know, like it was a very slow progress. So like it was very early on that I saw it and I knew that's what I wanted to do, but it was, it took me a while to, to make that switch. You've spent a lot of time internationally, pretty much all, all over the place, which is really fantastic. And I noticed also that you've worked on yachts. When I was in my sailing days on a, a research and an ocean sailing oh, vessel nice. for Pangea Explorations. And oh, nice. we, we spent a lot of time through the Caribbean for a couple of years. We would see these big yachts go by <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and go, wow, okay. We kind of felt like you were the cool ones. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would love to hear a little bit more about your experience there. Were you teaching scuba diving on these yachts? Yeah, I was. So it wasn't just like my sole job. I was working, I did some dive like diving liveaboard boats. And I was also working in a lot of my time in Canada. I worked on a lot of restaurants and like fine dining restaurants. And then I started working in hotels. I lived in Australia for a while as well. And I was working in like a five-star hotel. So I think there was like a lot of experience from both worlds. And I had a friend one time and he was like, you should try the, he called it the white boats. In Australia, they call it the white boats. <laughs> um, he's like, you should try that. Cause you're like, you have like the whole hospitality background plus the boating and diving, you know? So. So I applied for some jobs, I did some freelancing gigs, and uh, I gotta say, like, I did get most of the jobs because of the diving experience, but that wasn't just it. Like, when, usually when you start, you are either like a steward deck, you know, you, you help like a steward as you help in the interior, then you help on deck. But when the guests want to go on the water, when it, like anything, then you're like the water person, so you take them. But it wasn't just like, I'm just hanging in the yachts and like, <laughs> I'm taking them diving, like I wish, but uh, yeah, it wasn't like you had to work pretty hard. It's nice that you get the option to to also go in the water. I, I was very specific when I was taking jobs. Like I needed to make sure that I was. I usually work for private boats. You know, I like to go for families that were active in the water because that mm-hmm. meant that we have more time to do that. But I would I could never be in a boat and like not jump in the water. You know, at least ten minutes in a day. So, so yeah, I think I was quite lucky with that. And so, where along the line of all of this experience did you decide to set up Lunamar for the planet and? Mm-hmm. A Luna freediving school. I, w- I would just love to hear how that all came to fruition. Was it something that you had dreamed of? Uh, like I call them a, like a forever and always. Was it like a light bulb moment one day or was it a slow burn behind the scenes to mm-hmm. basically getting to the point uh, where you're like, I really want to set something up? Yeah, I think it was like a very ongoing dream like throughout my whole life. I always knew that I wanted to work helping others, you know, or like helping the, like nature. Like I'm so connected, I think, because of my upbringing and then I started traveling so much I was backpacking for many years you know different continents and I remember feeling like I want to help you know but mm-hmm. I also was very I like very itchy feet 
So I found it hard to just stay in one place. So I decided I was like, well, I don't need to just start in one place. Like I, want, I can just move around as well and still help. But Lunamar for the planet was born in 2012. So it's almost 11 years. Wow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and basically uh, what I decided to do is that uh, because I am not willing to set out, like settle in one place and open like my own project somewhere, then I was like, what if I raise funds doing things that like things that I love to do or I know how to do. And then I support all the projects that are already doing it. Right. So the first idea was that I wanted something with the youth and then ocean and earth. So we were in Africa and Latin America and Southeast Asia. I used to make bikinis for myself mm. <laughs> always in the water. And I used to make bikinis for myself and my friends were always like, hey, they're really nice. You should make some for selling or something. And they gave me the idea. So I was like, you know what? So I started, I did like three collections throughout three years. Yeah, everything was sustainable, sustainable fabrics. Everything was made in Colombia by a small group of women, like a slow fashion movement, all mm. that, all that sort of deal. 25% of each piece will go towards these projects. And it worked out really well. Like it was, it was going amazing until one point I realized that it was, I was becoming more of a shop, you know, than mm -hmm. the actual project. So I sort of restructured that. I think, I think it was 2016, I started slowly drifting away from that idea itself. And I realized that I actually wanted to have my own project. And also all the time, like I started getting people that were interested in partnering up and volunteering or helping. So I was in Indonesia at the time. I was, I was living uh, on a sailboat actually uh, in West Sumatra. So near the Mentawa Islands. And I was doing a lot of volunteering there with the kids, teaching English, but I was actually teaching ocean conservation. All the foreigners going to these third world countries, you know, we're always telling them like, hey, don't throw plastic, don't use plastic straws or like plastic bags or, and I think I was working with these kids that I realized that um, I showed them a video, one of my dubbing videos. I, I asked them, I was like, have you ever seen what's under the, like the ocean? Mm -hmm. Because for them, the only connection with the ocean was that their parents would go out really early, go fishing, and if they bring fish, then they make money, right? Like that was their connection, like daddy fishes and then we get money. Mm -hmm. um, but they'd never seen anything under. So I showed them a video and I remember like these 20 plus kids, like little kids, you know, between three and 10 years old. And they're all like in awe, like their jaws just dropped and everyone's quiet and they couldn't believe, like it was, they were just looking at the feet, the little fish and the reef and they were like amazed by it. And that was the moment that I say, okay, I do want to, <laughs> I need to work with this, right? Because I realized that we're, we come to these countries and we try to like, we try to force them to like fall in love with something, protect the, the, the environment, the ocean, you know, the earth, but like they don't understand it. So at that point, that's when I understood that you can't protect something that you don't love, right? Mm -hmm. And you love something that you don't understand. And these kids, uh, they were like falling in love by, by looking at what that was happening, you know, understanding what's happening under the, like, under the surface. And I think that's when the, the light bulb <laughs> basically light up. That was the moment that I say, okay, I do want to do something with this. And um, it doesn't mean that I have to stay in one single place because there's so many places in the world that you can, you know, bring this information, you know, and it's just like the, just the whole wanting to help, you know what I mean? Like it, anyone can do it. We can all do it through our environments or even remotely. And yeah, I think it was 2018 that we decided to come up with the Ocean Waters Project. So it sort of started slowly in Indonesia, but we officially uh, launched it in Mexico 
So we did two communities in the East Coast, one Mayan community, one um, just out of Tulum, and then the other one was in the Pacific and the West Coast of Mexico as well. And yeah, that was sort of the transformation. But it's always been like, there's been a lot of transformations basically through what Luna Mar was uh, and is now. But I think the, the idea behind it of always working for conservation and all through helping others in the community was, it's always been important to me. And that's what sets my heart on fire, basically. Like when I'm able to, to help others and see progress and see how, like, I remember the first time, like one of the little girls in Indonesia came to me and she said, that out of, I don't know if I 20, 30 kids, she came back and she's like, Hey, I actually went to the supermarket with my mom. And like, I took my backpack. I told her to not use a plastic bag, you know? And for me, that was like a huge win, given that. Indonesia is one of the most plastic polluted countries in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no education, there's no information about like all the consequences of plastic pollution. So for one little girl to say that in such a small island, those for me prove that if we try and we give our best, if it's just one out of 30, like we're making a huge impact. Oh my gosh, there's so much in there. So <laughs> <I know. laughs> this has been a huge part of my career and how Mm -hmm. and not just my career but my personal life as well my personal approach to being of service Mm -hmm. in the world which is what you're talking about is this sort of wanting to help i've also been in an education informal education position around plastics pollution toxics pollution in the oceans um, also here in the great lakes it is very much about facilitating that direct connection to the environment so that people will fall in love with it. Because as you just said, in different words, my belief is that when we feel connected to something, we will be motivated to protect it. And if we don't have that direct connection, that connection between the thought of something and the emotion that it brings up within us, we are not necessarily going to go out of our way to do something to care for it. So I absolutely love that you're career has basically unfolded from your love of the oceans to then help others fall in love with the oceans as well. This really came to me when we were going through the Caribbean and did quite a bit of education in schools around plastic pollution, ocean health education. Mm -hmm. And it was a real eye-opener for me that swimming the resources just aren't there. And that's understandable. You know, we are so fortunate here. And I I find that no, the notion of privilege coming up time and time again in all the conversations I'm having on this podcast, because, and I, I had someone, this was not during an interview, but I, I did a presentation. I had this woman say, environmental care, luxury of mm. the affluent. When you're you're trying to, you know, feed your family, make ends meet, your priori- priorities are different. So how do we start to create these connections and facilitate the falling in love with something so that that care for it becomes natural, it becomes a part of their everyday life and their way of thinking, regardless of mm-hmm. circumstance? Yeah, absolutely. That's basically one of the biggest things that I say, well, have you ever been under? And we remember taking these kids in Indonesia to the water and like they don't even know how to swim, right? And that's where the sort of idea of the project, Ocean Warriors, we have an educational workshop, you know, how the reef works, the importance, you know, fish identification, like why are they, certain fish are so important to the regions and sustainable fishing practices and so on. But at the end of the day, it was, for me, it was like the most important thing is that they go in and they see them, you know, when they have to put a mask on and go and like experience it, you know, with their own eyes. But then we have to start somewhere because these kids 
some of them won't even enter the water, right? They're petrified of water. You know, I was working as a school instructor throughout like Southeast Asia, Caribbean, Mexico, like a lot of developing countries. And out of all these areas, 90% of instructors were always foreigners. You know, that's changing the last couple of years, but mm -hmm. still there's a huge difference, right? Just the fact that these kids learn how to swim, you know, that's already a huge win. So with the projects, we want that you know, certify them as free divers, but we got to start somewhere. We got to start with mindfulness, making sure that they can breathe and they're okay entering the water. You know, the second thing is like, okay, let's blow bubbles in the water, you know, step by step until they know how to swim. Mm. For example, with the kids in Mexico, we're still in that stage. Most of them, uh, actually all of them now, they can put a mask on and like they will enter the pool. But, you know, we're still working with others that they're, they're so scared, right? So they like, they don't want to leave the side of the pool or... So just that, like being able to, to go to different places where we can give that to them, introduce them for something like an incentive that is exciting, right? Like we're going to learn to swim so we can go like see fishes, not just like swimming for swimming. But yeah, it is amazing because they're all living in these beautiful islands or coastal areas, you know, and they don't, they don't know the water. Like it, that was, that's just still so crazy to me, but the more, you know, as you say, like the more we travel and we, we experience that is... It's quite shocking, you know, and, and yet yeah, the privilege that you're talking about, right? That for us, it's just like swimming is just such a just basic skill, you know, for a kid. Well, in these areas, it's not, right? Because they're more worried about other things. Even the parents, you know, like they're fishermen, but they don't know how to swim. Yet they go in these tiny canoes and they go up at sea, you know, in rough conditions sometimes, but they still like they don't know how to swim. You know, something happens, it happens, accident happens or their canoe or something like flips over they're in big trouble so that's sort of like a dream as well like we get to focusing on the on the youth you know it's uh it's so important because sometimes the parents you know everyone is it's really hard like everyone's got like their their ways of thinking you know for so long but i think when it comes from their kids you know like they are sometimes maybe more open to to perceive changes or just just open to to new like ways of thinking or just the, the way they view certain things or even what they do, you know, like maybe the kids being like, hey, I should know how to swim. Do you, want to, do you want me to teach you something, you know? It's not only about just the kid, but like making sure that they can also create an impact in their own environment. And that starts from home. When I realized swimming was not something that was taught or available, <laughs> I had this plan back in 2015. I was like, I'm going to start this project and we're going to go and <laughs> teach swimming. And so <laughs> then my life, you know, went different directions as, as you well know it, as it does. So it's wonderful to hear that you're doing that. And it's something that I, you know, ended up teaching here and in Canada instead. So it was still on the water and, and teaching people to be mm -hmm. comfortable in the water and to create a relationship with it and to protect it and find respect for it. And as you said, that firsthand experience of getting in or on the water is such a powerful experience. I always called it the, you know, the water bubble. If you get someone out even paddling, there's this openness that happens when we're on near or around the water that it's just magic. Like it's kind of similar to how you, you know, you couldn't find the words to explain how it made you mm -hmm. feel when you dive. I find the same when I'm on the water or in the water myself, but also when I can facilitate that for other people and invite them out with me, there's some kind of alchemical experience that happens out there, which is so beautiful. And I, I love that, that you're doing that. I think you're absolutely right with regards to expending your energy and your intention on children and youth, because as we become adults, we can tend to get stuck in our ways or it's just what we've known. 
right? Mm -hmm. And in order to break out of those sort of fear-based patterns that we get into as we get older and experience all these things that can potentially stop us from, from living you know, mm-hmm. fully, if we can intervene at a younger age and say, hey, there's lots of optimism and beauty and things out here to experience that can give them the heart to then go forward and say, actually, you know what, I'm going to change this up. Hmm. <laughs> So mm-hmm. you get them in the pool. That is the first step in this Ocean Warriors project. Yeah, we do classroom first. Uh, it depends. It depends on the setup. We we call up with a lot of other organizations and like pools that we can use. So sometimes we, ha- we have to be very flexible with that. But in regards of the water itself, yes, we go to the pool first. We want to make sure that they're comfortable there first because we don't want to create, you know, some people that have bad experiences going to the ocean, something happens and not a swim or a wave. I think it's very important that they're comfortable first so we don't create a bad experience. They create more fear for the water. The ideal is, you know, we go to the pool first, get them very comfortable, get them swimming, you know, at least like they're able to put like have a mask on and move around and be okay. And then second would be like to go in the ocean. Obviously for that, like the logistics, we we need the small groups. And also I always, you know, wherever there's ocean, I'm always teaching free diving as well. So I'm lucky to have also my students, you know, that also always want to help. Mm-hmm. Or what the people, you know, people that are like surfers or anyone that is, you know, very comfortable in the water. The common help is basically. I think the first thing first is getting them in the right mindset, working mindfulness, how they breathe is so important. They totally change the type of breathing, like when they enter the, the, the water, even if it's just a pool, because they get so anxious and nervous, right? So that takes a while, but that's sort of the, the beginner level one sort of stage of, of the project. I also noticed you're a yoga and a breath instructor as well. So is, was that something that you were, and a mindfulness coach, there's so many things. Mm-hmm. Were you interested in mindfulness and meditation before freediving, or is that something that came from getting into freediving? I was actually talking to a friend the other day and I was saying that I feel like my first experience with meditation when I was, was when I was like four or five years old. My ballet teacher in Colombia, she used to sit us at the end of the class and she used to teach us how to meditate. But we didn't know what was going on, but she will just say, hey, think of a lotus flower inside your head and every time it turns one way, it goes one color, you know, and it was very creative, but we will sit there, you know, in a lotus position and like, you know, we will do ohms and I didn't really understand what was going on, but I just remember feeling really good. And there was a lot of teachings that I, I took from her throughout my old childhood. Like, so when I was sort of introduced to the spirituality world, maybe there was a lot of things that were not new to me. Right. Mm. And I feel like I was always very, I was always very curious and I was always reading books and I think throughout my travels, I met very interesting people, especially like, around, I don't know, like India, Nepal, certain parts of Asia. I feel that I connected with some people that how do I say this? Uh, they were just in a different, you know, like I felt they were just in a different level to, mm-hmm. to where I was and, you know, much older, but very wise people. And I started getting very curious. And this is way before, I think it was just more from the travels itself. And I don't know, maybe I'm a Scorpio. People say that, <laughs> that maybe I'm just like a little bit of a witch. Uh, I don't know, like my intuition mm-hmm. is very heightened. And, and I was, I don't know, it was just more of a searching and, you know, like, I felt that I was traveling a lot. So I felt like, am I running away from something? But at the same mm. time, I found myself through all these adventures and, you know, the yoga. I became, I did my yoga instructor. Actually, my first experience with yoga was when I was living in Toronto and I was maybe 18. I got a job in this studio in Toronto and downtown and they had like a yoga, like 
free classes. And the yoga instructor, she was a dancer. She used to be a dancer, so I loved the way she moved. And she did Ashtanga, so I was obsessed with Ashtanga for a long time. I think that the whole meditation, like mindfulness aspect, I don't know, I think just came through throughout the years and through the experiences and just more of a curiosity of like wanting to know more and to connect more with who I really am. So when I found free diving, it just felt it was perfect because those were big aspects about it. There's a huge aspect uh, when it comes to meditation that is very well connected to free diving. So I felt that everything that felt important in my life all came together in one practice. And I did my yoga instructor like in India after that, but I've already been practicing for a long time. And it was just more like I wanted to learn more and have the experience so I can provide that as well to my teachings. But yeah, I think that sort of came together <laughs> mm-hmm. at the right time. I think that, I don't know, I found this in my own life, that there's periods of time where we do that external searching for mm-hmm. meaning and purpose and who we are. And then we realize that I can actually just close my eyes and I can tune into who I am no matter where I am. Yeah, exactly. I feel like I had a time where I was obsessed and addicted to like all healing, all medicine, like, you know, anything to do with like external. And I thought it was amazing because I like I get to meet some amazing people and have amazing experiences. But something I learned is that I always had the tools inside of me, right? Like I always, I just sort of needed like those mirrors to, for me to talk it out or, you know, say things out loud or just just pay attention and realize that I knew the answers always. I just maybe didn't have a connection to fully trust my own intuition. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think after like so much, you name it, anything that like meant like, you know, sitting down in a group or, or just with one person and just digging deep. And, you know, uh, I did so much of that for so many years. That after a while, I was like, oh, I feel like I, I've sort of passed that and I'm, finding more answers, just going inwards. So I, I think it was all necessary and needed, you know, mm-hmm. like that was there for a reason, but I definitely feel that free diving is that for me. It's all, it's very, very inwards, there's nothing. In fact, my favorite thing about free diving is that you can, I say like to my students all the time, is like, you can't, you can fake it mm-hmm. out of the water. You know, I can, I don't know, I could be heartbroken or anxious because I'm losing my job or anything like that. And I, I don't know, I have to go do a dance piece or anything, you know, like out of the water. And I can fake it, you know, I can put a smile or like I go, I can have to go to work with customers and have to smile and be professional. Like I can do that. But in free diving, you cannot, you know, if my mind and my heart, if everything is not in sync, I cannot dive. My mind won't allow me to do like it won't allow me to to do it. it it's like, <laughs> it like it's, I don't, I don't want to use the word pressures me, but it's almost like it creates this discipline that if something is going on, I need to stop, I need to cry it out, I need to let it out because mm. if I'm not, I'm training and I have to go and do this big dive, I need to get it out because I can't fake and pretend that it's not happening. It's like, it makes me take care of things, you know, <laughs> like much, like more on the spot, basically, instead of pretending it's not happening or so it creates this amazing awareness and, and I just love it, you know, because it feels like it's just my, my own self, like, Call, calling me out you know like I am calling myself out <laughs> mm-hmm. um, through, like when I'm free diving so I love that and I think what you were talking about there is sort of that mind heart coherence and I think that is true wellness when we can really get ourselves aligned mind body spirit and as you said free diving for you is that sort of like 
snap out of it, not in a disrespectful way to the emotions mm -hmm. and the experiences that you're having, but it basically almost forces everything to the surface to say, okay, I need to process this so that I can go and do the thing. <laughs> Exactly. It's like <laughs> there's no there's no way like going around it basically. And and also to like be respectful for yourself, right? Like if there's days where I feel I am not in sync, then I take a break, you know? Mm -hmm. Then I just got to stop and it's like okay, I need to, you know, take the time and deal with it and or just be, you know? Um mm -hmm. so I really I really love that aspect about it. I love what you said in terms of just be because we spend so much time doing that we forget mm -hmm. about being. So I think that's just something that all of us can reflect on. And it's it's interesting. And I'd love to hear whether this is similar to you because I meditate every day. Mm -hmm. And it's been something that has really transformed my life. I very often will get people talking about meditation and they'll say, well, I can't meditate. I can't. Mm -hmm. I can't yeah. do it. My mind's too busy. And I'm like, that's the whole point. Um, <laughs> so I would love to hear from your perspective. When someone comes to you and they say, I can't meditate, what would you tell them? Yeah, absolutely. So if, you know, I work with many people that meditation was absolutely new to them. And, you know, the, like the saying, you should meditate 10 minutes a day. And if you're too busy, then you should meditate an hour. Mm -hmm. um, because if you think you're too busy to give yourself 10 minutes, then something's really wrong. I think for a lot of people, I get, I get that all the time. Like people say, I cannot sit down and still and close my eyes and just relax, right? So there are ways. I don't believe that you need to sit in a lot of position, close your eyes and just blank your mind. You know, actually blanking your mind is really hard. So I think we all have to work with, the, with what works for us. I've noticed that certain times in my life, walking meditation, that's what I was the most focused on. So I couldn't like maybe sit down for a long period of time. But if I just go walk, walk outside and like talk to the flowers, you know, or just like count my steps and just pay attention to everything in the ground. So I feel like meditation is just bringing awareness to, to, the, to the moment, to the present. If you like, like knitting or sewing, for example, you know, you can turn that into your meditation, like something that also brings pleasure to you. Cooking, you know, if someone mm -hmm. can just put some relaxing music and just focus on chopping vegetables or something that's like they're passionate about, you can start with those ones and then like slowly, you know, move into more of a settle like a state of meditation but as long as you're paying attention to the moment and and to your breathing you know you can walk around but like still feel that air connect to the air and the energy that's going inside to your lungs and then what's exhaling you know what's happening to that co2 going out in the world like i feel like there's there's many there's many tools and skills for people to create their own practice but it's very common that people think that if they cannot sit, you know, for like half an hour and be still and their mind doesn't shut up, like, it's hard. Like, you know, like, we know, like, mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, some days it's really hard and days it works out perfect, you know. But I think consistency and discipline is, is everything. Which is the same as any new habit or new exactly. skill you're trying to develop. I know when I first started practicing i was like oh no <laughs> like, yeah. i'm actually it's actually amazing how when you sit down to do it when you first start it can actually be even more overwhelming because for the mm -hmm. first time your brain's like oh you're ready <laughs> cool exactly. i'm gonna give you everything all at once <laughs> yeah exactly like i think creating like step-by-step -step experiences you know mm -hmm. like little by little and you build it up and yeah. I think that's why breath work is so powerful because it gives mm -hmm. people something to focus on and exactly. try and find a piece of 
instrumental music that you find calm yet engaging Mm -hmm. and match your breath to the music Mm -hmm. and just try to focus on that. Music's something that I think can be very evocative for people. And so I think if we can practice with the same piece of music every day, all of a sudden it almost drops you into the meditation Mm -hmm. faster because you associate that song with the practice of slowing down and getting quiet and focusing on your breathing. Yeah, music is actually really important. I just think there's, I think all of this is so cool and I could nerd out about it for like (laughs) a a really long time. So it's wonderful to be having this conversation with you and I I really Mm -hmm. appreciate it. And I would love to continue talking about it, but I've got (laughs) other questions and I want to be mindful of time as well. So when I was looking at Lunamar and Aluna Mm -hmm. freediving school, the two words have Luna in them. So I'm curious for you to maybe share how you chose the names for your initiatives and what they mean to you. So that was more of a coincidence to be honest, but I guess nothing nothing is actually a coincidence, right? Like Lunamar, I <laughs> I remember looking for names and I was just like, I don't know, because I was also gonna have like a swimmer line at the time. And for me it was all about the waves. I used to call it like create the waves of movement, like the movement. Like I was trying, you know, there were so many like campaigns that I tried to sort of start at the time and Luna is moon, but Mar is also the first three letters of my name, like Marcella. Mm-hmm. But Mar means the uh, sea in mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So for me, it was like that relationship of the moon and the sea creates such a big impact, right? It creates movement, like it creates just waves of motion. And um, I don't know, it was something to do with that. Also, my little niece is called Luna. And I don't know, there was a lot of things about it. I was like, yeah, I like it. Luna Mar. And then for the planet... Because everything, when I first started like doing, I, I used to make bracelets and raise funds for the ocean. <laughs> then I was making t-shirts and I made tote bags and I make bikinis. Like I went through like many different like entrepreneur sort of mm-hmm. <laughs> um, stages and everything was for the planet. So I was like a bracelet for the planet, a bikini for the planet, <laughs> like everything was for the planet. So at the end, I was just like, okay, it's just Lunamar for the planet because there's so many faces basically. And then Aluna, I was teaching freediving for a long time, but I didn't have like an official name. I was just sort of freelancing with my own name, but I wanted to set that up and create more of a brand as well, not just for freediving, but for the wellness in general. Aluna is, so the Kogis are one of the most, maybe the last indigenous communities still alive in Colombia. And they live in the Sierra Nevada, which is a mountain that is right next to the ocean in the north coast. The only mountain in the world that starts at sea level and ends at freezing point. So they have snow at the, at the tip, but at the bottom is sea level and it's 30 degrees. Hmm. And it's a beautiful, very sacred area. And that's near that area. That's where we used to travel a lot to go camping when I was a kid and just spend so much time near the ocean and the mountains and the jungle. It was like full jungle. When I was looking for a name, I was looking for something related to that area because I felt that was something very important to my relationship with, with nature and the ocean, but also like the spirituality, you know, like there's something very sacred about that area in Colombia. And just reading through more about it, and I found Aluna basically is what this tribe, basically they, they pray to Aluna, like Aluna is the everything. There's a beautiful description of the name, like what it means to them. I don't want to say like they're God, it's just they're everything. But mm-hmm. so the mamas, like the, old, the older men, they go in the cave for like about seven, eight years in the dark. They stay there until they enter in a Luna. So a Luna is like a state of mind where nothing exists, where not thoughts exist, where everything's perfect. 
And they say that before everything was created in the, in the world, in the universe, before was a Luna and a Luna was water. Everything, when I read that, I was like, this is insane because it's everything I feel. And, you know, when you're free diving and you want to enter, you want to enter in this perfect state, meditative state that you're connected and like where everything is just the mother, the earth, you know, the ocean. And I, since then, I actually prayed to a Luna too. You know, like it became something that I talk to every day. And when I'm in the water, like in competitions, like I connect to a Luna as well. So it became something really important to me. And the name was, you know, <laughs> it just happened to have the Luna in there, but it's also a Luna. So it's that nothing to do with the moon. And it sounds pretty. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it absolutely does. <laughs> it's incredible when we explore traditional knowledge and conceptions of the universe and creation from indigenous culture, indigenous ways of knowing. And I've found affinity with First Nations ways mm -hmm. of thinking here in Canada. I think it's so wonderful that you were able to find something that spoke to you so deeply and really encapsulated not just the geographical relationship that you had to that area because of your your childhood experience but also the the deeper meaning of that place and space for you in many ways it does give you a way of describing that feeling to other people with regards to free diving because if they are spiritual Mm -hmm. there will be an element of that understanding that people can share with you from their own experience. Oh, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing that with me. Uh, that's And with, with our listeners, I think that's absolutely beautiful. Because I think names, like when we're creating something mm -hmm. from our passions, the name, although it's just a label, it is the first interaction that people will have with what you've created. And so when I was thinking about naming the Recreation to Recreation podcast, mm -hmm. I have a wider initiative called Recreation, which is really just about the fact that we are constantly recreating our reality and recreating the world around us through our thoughts, our beliefs, our intentions, our actions. So that's why I wanted to ask you that question about the names it was mm -hmm. funny that they both had luna in them I, <laughs> yeah. I, I love that as you said there isn't really any coincidence there was obviously something there that yeah. was drawing you to both i think that's just a beautiful coming together of exactly what you were trying to do when you set this up yeah absolutely and thank you for asking now many people actually ask that question <laughs> so <laughs> they just think it's cute and i'm like yeah sure <laughs> yeah oh nice <laughs> yeah as i said yeah, I, I don't really do surface level <laughs> so <laughs> kind of the the deep dive with you two more things that i'd really like to touch on one i think leads directly from what we were just talking about which is a reason why i chose this word for your triad which is reinvention because and now as i'm listening to you talk about the iterations that lunamar has gone through and even just your approach to life in general that you have been constantly reinventing mm -hmm. the way that you do things as you said there's this foundational piece that it's for the planet but that the ways that we can instigate change, they don't have to stay the same. They don't have to be in one place. They can be, and that can be very powerful. But if you do feel the call to change the dream, that is okay. And there's so many different ways that you can do that. So I'd love to just explore the idea of reinvention with you a little bit more. You've not only created a, an initiative with Lunamar, which you started 
raising money for other initiatives. And then you decided to sort of create your own project. Mm -hmm. So what has been your most rewarding and your most challenging moment in terms of running your own initiative? I think the most rewarding is, is definitely just seeing the kids, specific to Lunamar and the project, just seeing them swimming, you know, like see mm -hmm. a kid, like I had a kid, for, for example, in Mexico that he was petrified of water. And then to have him like enter the water and, you know, like I'll have him like in my arms, just floating and talking to him and breathing and just seeing how, you know, kids that maybe, you know, never thought that they would have the chance to, to do something. And then all of a sudden you see them the next week come back and they're excited about it instead of being scared. Mm -hmm. um, I think seeing that I was able to change the connection to the water for certain kids. So I think that's, that's the most rewarding. I love seeing them like laughing and smiling, you know, and like losing that fear and just being, being excited about it. That's, that's the most rewarding thing. And the challenging at the beginning stages, you know, wanting to be an entrepreneur and I will have so many ideas. <laughs> and I think it was a challenge to like focus on one. And also something that I've noticed that was really challenging is like uh, asking for help. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm a perfectionist and I wanted to do everything myself. You know, I did my own website, I did my own social media. I was my social media manager. I was, <laughs> I was my accountant. I was my, like, you know, I was the facilitator. I was looking for like the grants. Like I was doing everything myself. It's, it was very challenging for me to to ask for help and also trust that someone else will care for it as much as I do. Mm -hmm. And then I did, and it was also become something really rewarding. It goes basically to answer the other question too, is seeing friends that people that wanted to collaborate and see how much they care about my own project, you know, as, it was, as if it was theirs. A challenging part, but it ended up being something very rewarding that others could connect to it as much as, as I do. And obviously the, the uncertainty of, you know, you never know if you're going to have the funds or not. And a lot of times, and most of it at the beginning, it was always out of my pocket. Every course that we teach through freediving, through Aluna Freediving, or I'm developing a different side-to-side -side platform that is Aluna Wellness, that we focus more on like mindfulness and, and coaching and wellness coaching. And everything that goes through those channels, 10% goes towards the project, right? Mm -hmm. I think it's always a challenge for, you know, like, how do you make things happen? And it's not a normal job that you're just getting a secure salary, just doing it out of passion and out of putting your heart in it. And as much as that is challenging, when you get the projects going and an event or something happen and you people show up and you see the impact that those little things can do, at the end, it's all, it's all rewarding in my, in my eyes. Type two fun. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And I think what you described there is actually a very common experience of entrepreneurs in general, which is you give birth to this idea and this project. That worry is always going to be there of, is anyone going to love this as much as I do? Learning to delegate is exactly really tricky. What would be your words of advice to someone who is maybe thinking of pursuing their passion full-time and starting their own charity or initiative? Mm -hmm. that, that's, a, that's a big question. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think doing what we love is, is the ultimate dream. I've gone through so many different jobs in my life. I always go back to, no, this is what my heart wants to do. And no matter how amazing a job was or how much money they will offer, I think it was really important to always stay true to myself and ask myself, like, am I happy or am I not? Without being scared of what the money situation would be. For anyone, not just an organization, but like anyone that's just trying to pursue your, like, you know, their passion and do what they love, you know, for a living. Paulo Coelho is one of my favorite authors, and he's got a, does a saying in one of these books that I think was in The Alchemist, actually. <laughs> he says that if you have the courage to go for what you really want in life, the universe will conspire to help you. Mm -hmm. 
I truly believe that. Like, there's been so many times in my life where I just go, screw it, you know, I'm just going to go for this. I'm going to do it. Like, I have no money. Like, I don't know how I'm going to do it. And then all of a sudden, like, opportunities show up, people show up. Like, I always feel the universe takes care of you when you really, truly follow in your heart for something that is good, right? Mm-hmm. But I also feel that it's important to know that it's important to trust, fully trust and surrender to the universe that if something is meant for you, it will happen, right? Like if you're working for it and you're putting your heart in it, like it will happen, it will help you to make it happen. But if something's not meant for you, it, it will also make it clear that it's not for you. So we must fully trust and not force it, you know, and that comes to anything, passions, jobs, relationships, like anything. So I feel that just following your intuition and, and just going for it, you know, like, I feel like 90% of what stops people from doing that is money. Mm-hmm. They, they can compare like, I have this salary. If I go do that, I'm going to make three times less the money. And I feel like I've gone through that, that exact dynamic so many times in my life. And every time, every single time was so worth it, you know, because when you're doing something that you're so passionate about, like you're just going to do better and better, right? So the opportunities, the, the, the business, everything is just going to come to you because you attract that, right? Because you're acting from a space of peace and love and you're just generally doing something good for others while you're being true to yourself. Trust and just freaking do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, so we I have, have one life. We live, we live like we have like life B, C, D. Like, no, we just have one life, you know? Like, what do you have to lose? I hate the what if, what if of something. Like, that's just my thing. Like, I don't want to know what if. I want to know that I did it and if it doesn't work out, then okay, at least I try, right? Don't sit down and just stay with the what if because you will never know. Perfect. I mean, you're (laughs) mirroring everything within me right now. So that's beautiful. (laughs) It was just wonderful listening to you talk about that. I completely agree. I think when we're leading from a space of authenticity and we are, Mm -hmm. when you create from who you truly are, you really can't fail. Exactly. As you said, when it's coming from a space of service and wanting to move towards the highest good for all involved, I mean, that once again, you can't fail. Exactly. And someone that's actually looking to do a project with community or, or an organization, you know, you're actually putting your passion into giving something back, you know, to your community, to the humanity, like to the planet. That alone, that's already, you're going to be taken care of. You know, money might be tight here and then, like, but that's okay, you know, because the feeling of fulfillment, it's amazing, you know, and, and, and it's worth every single sense that you might not have, but you will have enough anyways to, to live a happy life. Mm-hmm. I think fear needs to be out of the question. <laughs> and recognize when you are rubbing up against the edge of your comfort zone and sort of say, okay, on the other side of this exactly. fear is opportunity and possibility. Exactly. It might even turn out better than you ever imagined. I think too, mm-hmm. and we we were talking about it earlier, that sort of like external seeking for things that mm-hmm. are going to bring you fulfillment versus going inward. We have all these societal norms of what success looks like. And mm-hmm. if we can really sit down with ourselves and say, okay, what, what does prosperity mean to me? What does success mean to me? And mm-hmm. can I, for a time, just allow myself a moment where I'm reassessing what my means are? Can I live mm-hmm. within my means for this period of time, knowing that if you are following your heart everything is going to unfold for you in a way that's probably better than you even imagine exactly and you know where we can get very creative i usually live in mexico or like other countries where it's cheaper you know mm-hmm. expenses but i still get the inspiration and the community around me that i you know could continue to work and, and do what i do it's a matter of just doing it either is an excuse or you're doing it and we're very good at creating excuses so <laughs> excuses be gone <laughs> exactly <laughs> 
This was amazing. I can't believe time flies always. I know. <laughs> it's the best. First of all, we've talked about it quite a lot already, but this month for the recreation donation, we are supporting your Ocean Warriors project. Perhaps yeah. you can share with our listeners what's next for the project, what their support will be enabling you to do going forward, and maybe how they can get involved or how they can best support. Yeah, absolutely. So as far as for the project in Mexico, we're still, the, the process is still on taking the kids to the pool, but our goal for end of the year is to have them ready and we can actually take them out. A lot of the donations that we receive are dedicated to that, to the boat, you know, like boat cost and transportation and like meals for the day, you know, for the kids. We have Bonassi's is our official sponsor. They were really nice to give us all the equipment for the kids. But in regards of logistics and things like that, that's where our basically donations go towards too. So open water session with the kids, you know, it was thanks to the recreation podcast, for example, like listeners. And and then we're also working to going back a little bit to Canada. Also do more like more of the arts, the scene, mindfulness, uh, working with youth. Newcomers in Canada, we're looking to also expand and work with refugees. I actually am a refugee. I came as a refugee to Canada when I was 17. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like all circling back and I'm, you know, being here, I feel that I've been called to work with those newcomer youth and those refugee youth that are coming to Canada and also trying to find their voice and trying to find their passion. And like, if not, we can do it through ocean conservation and environmental like, subjects uh, will be even more amazing. So that's something that it's on the plants as well. So we're very excited about that. In regards of how they can help, you know, you know, we get a lot of volunteers that if they happen to be in Mexico or Indonesia, wherever we are, and we have a project active, usually send a newsletter and people are happen to be there. They can come and help out. Otherwise, you know, any fundraisers, anything that we work for a company and, you know, they can just spur like hundred bucks, you know, we have something for like this month. They want to help someone like we're always, you know, that's obviously the best way for us to continue the project with the kids. But something that if we're going to, you know, plan to work in Canada with newcomers, you know, and all the youth that are coming and trying to find who they are, you know, through change of culture and languages, it's a huge change. And I went through it myself. There will be a lot of opportunities so people can get in touch. You know, we're on Instagram, Lunamar for the Planet, or it was our website, lunamarforthe.planet.org. And people can also take free diving courses with you in Toronto, right? Yes, yeah, so I've been doing some workshops in Toronto. We also have some uh, have some collab uh, friends that teach, you know, as well uh, all over in Ontario. You can find us in Aluna Free Diving on Instagram or alunafreediving.com. I didn't start it as sort of a project that I want to sit in the ground is Aluna Wellness. And basically we're doing sessions to companies or one-on-ones. We explore some very deeper, <laughs> deeper subjects as well on the one-on-ones, but that's something that is also very important to to work with mental health, especially I feel that in North America or certain parts of the world, like I feel that there's more bigger need also like this mental, emotional support to people working really hard, you know, working like different lifestyles and it's, it's something that's been calling me for a long time. And, and I mean, I'm deep in the process <laughs> of making that happen. So I'm also very excited about that. I've got one more question left, but we're ending with this reflection that you are just answering every call. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I go through crises that where my heart is like, are you doing what you want? <laughs> and then I, I think it's my only job to just listen to that and, and do it. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. And when you do, you know, get started with things, if there's something in the Great Lakes that I can help with, do let me know. I'd love to oh, collaborate. Absolutely. I yeah. was thinking about it when you mentioned this, okay. like, like in the first minute of our call. <laughs> Perfect. (laughs) I love that. Oh, I can't wait. Okay, perfect. So I've been ending every episode with the same question just because Mm -hmm. I think it's 
to me the ultimate question. What do you think is the meaning and purpose of life, the universe, and everything? Hmm. <laughs> I think the meaning for us to be here, you know, to be given one life to come and explore how amazing this planet and the universe is, is that I think mean, honestly, <laughs> I know it sounds redundant, but like I, I feel that if every single human was even life connected to the true desires, you know, to like what they really want to do. So basically, I feel that when I'm doing something that I'm so passionate about, like my heart feels warm. Even having this conversation, like my heart feels warm, you know, like when I'm talking mm -hmm. about all these things, I'm like, it warms me up and I'm just, I feel that I'm vibrating this like fire, this passion, you know, just outside of me. And I feel that if every single human was doing that, imagine the type of world that we will have. I think the purpose is just we come here to be true to ourselves and like don't live our lives out of fears or of, out of expectations, you know, that are external to us. But if we can truly just take the adventure and just like, screw it, you know, I want to live exactly how I want to live. I want to do what sets my soul on fire. Then that's what we're here for. So, <laughs> yeah. And there you have it. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Marcella. This was, as you said, I, I feel my heart is warm as well. <laughs> These conversations serve such a beautiful purpose in my life. And the whole hope is that it will for many people who are listening the world over. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for all the wonderful things that you are doing to help people, even though you're starting with children, the ripple effect of helping people fall in love with the oceans. I think starting with the oceans is wonderful and I know that it spreads to all types of nature, you know, no blue, no green mm -hmm. and nothing in between. So it's all one. It's all one. So thank you so much for your time today. And I'm excited to collaborate going forward. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I really enjoy. This month's recreation donation is in support of the Lunamar for the Planet's Ocean Warriors project. As you now know from exploring with Marcella and I in this episode, this project runs workshops in coastal communities of developing countries for children and youth, introducing them to the ocean through swimming and freediving so they can better understand and appreciate reef ecosystems and be inspired to protect them for the future of our planet. Whether you can volunteer your time, money, or your voice, we hope you will head over to our Patreon page to find out the different ways you can support their unique version of recreation for the world. Please take the time to let us know what the stories we explored in this episode meant to you. And if you do take action to support this month's cause, thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Recreation to Recreation. If you, or someone you know, has a unique and inspiring story to tell, make sure to reach out so we can share it with the world. Until next time, keep happy, keep healthy, and keep exploring.